Amen. We'll start off with verse 7. It says this, At the time Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. We're not the Cushites and Libyans, a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The title of my message this morning is A Life with Two Heartbeats. A Life with Two Heartbeats. King Jesus, what a privilege it is to step at this pulpit this morning. Lord God, I claim in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let every word that come out of my mouth be directly from you and only you, God. I don't come up here uh, as a part of theater, Lord God. I come up here as, as an instrument in the palm of your hand to present your word. And I pray for these next few moments, Lord. I pray that you'd fill every vessel with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Call us to a deeper level of commitment to you. In Jesus' precious holy name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On May 22nd, 2018, Bill Connor hopped on his bicycle and began a nearly 3,000-mile cross-country bike ride honoring his late daughter, Abby, who tragically passed away in a drowning accident a few months before. Before her death, she was flown to Fort Lauderdale where she was kept on life support until doctors could harvest her organs for transplant. At the age of 16, as soon as she got her driver's license, Abby made the decision to become an organ donor, something she was extremely passionate about. As her father, Connor, said his final goodbye to his baby girl, another family's drama playing out at another hospital a few states south where the family of 21-year-old 20, Lamont Jack Jr. was told he only had a few days to live after suffering a massive heart attack. He needed a miracle, and then came Abby. A last-minute heart transplant saved Jack's life. And when Abby's father informed the Florida Donation Center that handled Abby's organs about his decision to ride on her behalf, the group sent letters to every recipient asking if they'd be interested in meeting the woman's father. And the only person who responded was Jack, the heart recipient. Connor was given Jack's contact information and they arranged to meet in Baton Rouge, Louisiana on Father's Day, which was 1,400 miles into Connor's trip. The moment they met for the first time, they embraced immediately. And Connor was able to feel the heartbeat of his late daughter, Abby, for the first time since she died. After sharing a minute-long hug, Jack pulled out a stethoscope so Connor could hear his daughter's heartbeat again. The family also made a recording of Jack's heart so Connor could listen to it as he continued on his journey to spread awareness about the importance 
of organ donation. The heartbeat is a beautiful sound. The beat assures us that life exists. I'm sure every parent in this room remembers the first time they heard their little baby's heartbeat. And as the little baby grows, that little heart grows with it, beating 100,000 times a day, 40 million times a year. And if the connection between our brain and our heart were to be severed, our heart will keep right on beating. The heart is the most powerful organ in the body. A typical heart will generate 60 to 1,000 times more power and electromagnetic energy than your brain, easily making it the most powerful organ that we have. In fact, scientists have declared the heart is like a second brain. Not too long ago, a new machine was developed called the magnetocardiogram, also known as the MCG, which measures the magnetic field of the heart instead of the electrical field. To their astonishment, scientists found that the heart's magnetic field extends up to 12 feet in diameter around the entire body. Using this very advanced technology, scientists have been able to confirm some absolutely mind-boggling things about the heart that they never imagined. Did you know that every beat of your heart sends messages to all the cells in your body? Our brain even obeys the messages sent by the heart. This meaning the heart can literally think for itself. The heart has the ability to even remember things. Now you may be wondering, does my physical heart really think and feel? Isn't my heart just a physical pump? Well, author and scientist Paul Pearshall described an incident that occurred when he was speaking to an international group of psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists in Houston, Texas several years ago. He was talking about his belief that the central role of the heart is both physical and spiritual. A physician came to the microphone to share her story. Sobbing, this is what she said. I have a patient, an eight-year-old little girl who received the heart of a killed 10-year-old girl. Her mother brought her to me when she started screaming at night about her dreams of the man who had killed the donor. She said her daughter was able to identify what this individual looked like. After several sessions, she said, I just could not deny the reality of what this child was telling me. Her mother and I finally decided to call the police and using the descriptions from the little girl, they were somehow able to find the murderer. Everything the little girl reported was considered accurate. Now this story obviously sounds crazy. And at times it is somewhat debated in the scientific community. But the science that are pro this story, that are pro this case, they call it transplant cellular memory. Where recipients are able to take on some of the feelings and memories of donors. That's how powerful the heart is. 
Perhaps ancient societies and cultures understood more about the human heart and its capabilities than we do today. In most ancient cultures, for example, the heart was understood to be the core of our being, the source of love and the source of all our creativity. So let's try a little exercise this morning. I want everyone to close your eyes. If you got two eyes, close them. All right. Now I want you to just go ahead and point to yourself. Do it right now. Just point to yourself. Now open them. Did you point to your head where your brain is? Or did you point to your chest where your heart is? See, we usually don't point to our brain, foot, or face. When you point to the real you, you point to the heart. None of the ancient peoples, including people in Bible times, considered the seed of a man to be the brain. To the Greeks and writers of the Bible, the seed of a man's identity was in the heart, the soul, the emotions, the will, and the feelings of that person. In fact, the word heart is mentioned in the Bible nearly 1,000 times. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The Bible uses the word heart primarily to refer to the ruling center of the whole person, the spring of all desires. The heart is seen as the base of our will, intellect, and feelings. Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise in heart will be called prudent, and and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Traits like character, personality, and mind are approximate modern terms for the Bible's meaning of the heart. According to the Bible, the heart is the center not only of, a, of spiritual activity, but of all operations of human life. Heart and soul are often used interchangeably. For Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strengths. Scriptures depict the heart as capable of thinking, feeling, remembering, and prompting outward behavior. For Proverbs 15, 13, and 14 says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. What kind of heart do you have this morning? In our text today, we caught a glimpse of the tail end of King Asa's incredible 41-year reign as the third king of Judah, who was also the great-grandson of King Solomon. His story is told in 1 Kings 15 and again in 2 Chronicles 15 and 16. Asa was an amazing king who brought rest and peace for his people during his rule in the early going. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 14, 2 and 3, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. And he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He destroyed the altars used by worshiping false gods and aggressively rid Judah's cities and the land of idols and high places. The Bible tells us that he also repaired the altar of the Lord. Asa was was so zealous for the things of God that he even overthrew his own grandmother as queen for her worship of Esherah, a false goddess. That's passion. 
The writer of 2 Chronicles makes it very clear that Asa's success and prosperity as king was intimately linked to the way in which he wholeheartedly sought his God. 2 Chronicles 15, 17 says, Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. And as a result, he led his people to do the same. Asa looked to God in everything, seeking God first, even when it came to his national security. In one instance, Asa had an army of 580,000 men facing an Ethiopian by the name of Zerah. And Zerah and his army of one million strong came for battle against Asa. Did not look good for the king and for the country of Judah. But as was his practice, he sought the Lord first. For 2 Chronicles 14, 11 says, And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you and, and your name, and we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. The Bible tells us that the Lord defeated the Ethiopian army, delivering a great victory. The Lord was so pleased with Asa's response in the situation that he sent a prophet named Azariah to encourage him in 2 Chronicles 15 too. And he sent out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Asa sounds like an absolutely incredible king. He has the passion, the ability to walk in the will of the Lord, to obey God. Sounds a lot like a lot of us when we, when we are first filled with the Holy Ghost and, and we encounter His delivering presence. There's this power and this change that grips us and takes over us. And there's no way I'm going back to where I was. I'm going to fight and I'm going to keep moving forward. But then over the years, something happened to Asa. His intensity for the Lord began to fade. The Bible doesn't explicitly say what it was that crept in his heart, but something changed that day for the great king. In the 35th year of his reign, Asa's enemy king, Basha, began increasing pressure on him economically and militarily by essentially barricading Asa and Judah from the outside world. This time Asa decided to act alone. He no longer sought the will of the Lord like he used to. Asa's intuition told him the solution to this developing crisis was to empty God's house for its gold and silver and give it to the pagan king of Syria in exchange for some help with Basha. So that's exactly what Asa did. And guess what? King Basha backed off. It worked. He found success in the story. He found success in the situation. Situation, he found another victory. But this time, this was not without, it was not with the help of the Lord. And this brings us to our main text this morning where God sends Hanani, the seer, to confront him. He recounted to Asa all that God had done on his behalf and scolded him for relying on a pagan king instead of God's strengths. And when Hanani shared this famous message with Asa, when he said, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Well, 
That's what happened to Asa. His heart had been turned away from God. He even imprisoned Hananiah the seer because he was angry with what? What was he angry at? Not with the seer. He was angry with the word of the Lord. Asa's turned heart continued continued to turn even further for the Bible says for the Bible tells us he he contracted a terrible foot disease and rather than seeking the Lord he relied only on physicians Asa's heartbeat had changed Asa's was once had a committed heartbeat and it changed into a different heartbeat See, the Hebrew phrase for a committed heart essentially means wholehearted devotion. At the temple's dedication, King Solomon prayed for the people to have wholehearted devotion. And later in his own life, we read that Solomon's wives turned his heart towards other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. His heart turned away from God. Look at King Saul. The Bible says God gave him what? A brand new heart. After all the stupidity in that man, God gives him a brand new heart. For Samuel 10.9, so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. But when Saul's new heartbeat but then Saul's new heartbeat committed heartbeat, it began to turn the committed heartbeat that the Lord gave him began to turn. And before long, what does a turned heart do? It goes against God. And he willfully disobeyed God's commands. And when the prophet Samuel confronted him like Asa, instead of repenting his heart, he turned from God and there was no heart. So my question this morning on this Memorial Day Sunday to our visitors, to our sanctuary church family. What does your heart beat for this morning? Do you have a turned heartbeat? Or do you have a committed heartbeat? So let's go ahead. Let's perform a little diagnosis this morning, can we? A turned heart is a proud one. Proverbs 21.4, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. A turned heart is idolatrous. Ezekiel 14.4, therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord, everyone of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. A turned heart is a hardened heart. Hebrews 3.15, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. A turned heart is a stubborn heart. Psalm 81.12, so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in what their own counsel. A turned heart is an erroneous heart. For Acts 7.39 says, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. A turned heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. A turned heart is a backslidden one for Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied 
from above. And a turned heart is a divided heart for Hosea 10.2. Their heart is divided. Now they held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred place. Any backsliders in the house this morning? Anyone dealing with deceit, erroneousness, stubbornness? Anyone have a hardened heart from past hurts and pain? Anyone have an adulterous heart looking at other things other than the Lord? Everyone have a, a proud heart, too proud to look at King Jesus? Look at David, a man after God's own heart who fell deep into sin. His heart also began to beat differently. His, his turned heartbeat led him to what? Adultery and murder. He too was confronted by a prophet. And when the prophet Nathan rebuked him, what did he do? He didn't put the prophet in prison. He didn't walk away. He didn't run away. His response was pure Repentance, for Psalm 51, 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So what is the diagnosis of a clean heart? Or, excuse me, what is the diagnosis of a committed heart? Well, of course, first, it needs to be cleaned. But a committed heart has the fears of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5.29, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their child, children forever. A committed heart is a broken and contrite one. Psalm 51.17, the sacrifices of God are, broken, are of a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. A committed heart is tender for 2 Kings twenty two nineteen. 19. Because your heart was tender and you, you, uh, you humbled yourself before the Lord. I know there's a lot of Bible scripture reading. I get that. But the Bible paints a pretty beautiful picture. That commitment is the most powerful thing. That keeps us whole. Commitment is the most important thing that we must do. Consistency. Consistency. And what was the warning when we look at Asa? What was the warning? Because he had a turned heart. What would happen to him and Judah? They would face several wars. Because they did not obey the word of the Lord. My friends, that is the conflict of sin. I was so blessed yesterday to be able to, to sit in on uh, and be a part of our great elder Marion Gunn, a, a founding member of this great church. And as I sat there, I heard this consistent, uh, uh, this consistent um, theme. And the consistent theme was loyalty and faithfulness. I believe we have a picture of him there that we threw up. And in fact, for those that could not be here, he was playing uh, that video of him playing the organ. I'm sorry, playing the harmonica. I don't know any, I don't know instruments very well. That video of him playing the uh, harmonica, it brought tears to my eyes. I remember just the beautiful sound of just his faithfulness and how good he was. What I loved about, I was just a youth pastor. And that man took me out to lunch all the time. He even came and showed my wife and I how to garden. 
We ended up killing half of the tomatoes, so he told us to stop messing with the garden, and he came every day and tended to it for us. But he wanted to make sure we were home when he was there so we could watch him. So he would sit in the driveway and honk his horn really loud. But honking the horn really loud was, meh. And we come running out, okay. Every year on my birthday, he'd give me a $100 check. Towards his later years, it was just a few years ago, he drove by my house, and it was the middle of October, and he goes, here you go, brother. Handed me a $100 check, happy birthday. I said, Elder Gunn, I love you. I love these checks, but my birthday's in May. He goes, well, you're not getting this then. And he yanked it out of my hand, folded it up. He goes, you'll get it in May. And he drove off. He didn't even say goodbye. <laughs> that was Elder Gunn. But my heart was, was so full and so blessed to hear family members testify. And even afterwards, as people walking around sharing stories of, uh, of this great man. And I, and I tell you what, as what really got to my heart is our, as our pastor did the eulogy, he, he beautifully went through the decades and decades where Brother Gunn stayed faithful. If there was ever a man that had a pure heart, if there was ever a man who had a committed heart, it was Elder Marion Gunn. But what does, what does a committed heart mean? Now, was Brother Marion Gunn, was he exempt from, from sickness and disease? Was he exempt from hurt and pain? Was he exempt from the faults of life? No. In fact, family would testify there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain at times. Sickness and disease can be a terrible thing. God, sometimes God chooses to heal, sometimes. Doesn't, and I'm sure after you were to look at Brother Gunn's heart, you'd see that maybe there, there, maybe there were some scars. Maybe there were some tears. Maybe there were some situations that took place. But you want to know with him, he kept beating because he was consistent. That was the theme. If our musicians can come, that was the theme. It was the consistency of his heart. His heart he had the constant heartbeat. He had the heartbeat of someone who was committed. So through death, through sickness and disease, what did he do? He worshipped. He kept moving forward. He set the example of faithfulness. Nobody said that the man was perfect. In fact, a lot of us laugh. He was kind of tough to deal with. But at the end of the day, he loved God. And he loved people. And because of that, he's a part of the revival that we have here today. I'll tell you what, we're not in this building and we don't have these people without Elder Marion Gunn. We're not in this building and we don't have all these people without our great eldress, Granny Foster. And I'm so thankful for individuals in my life that show commitment, a committed heart. Where Brother Scott shows me a committed heart. Is the heart perfect? No. In fact, I showed my daughter this heart that I was going to use this morning. And she goes, what is that? That's disgusting. In fact, I was sitting in the front row. Pastor asked me, he goes, is it real? I was like, no, I promise. He said, ah, it's gross. He's like, I thought that a heart was, was you know, this. Pretty. It's like, yeah, a heart is pretty. But over time, a heart can get beat up. 
A heart can be hurt. But where God performs is when a heart is committed. And we all have, we've all had broken hearts, amen? Oh, I'll tell you what, the love of my life, I won't name her name. Many years ago, came to Gateway College of Evangelism and she was actually from Canada and our families happened to move here at the same time. Imagine dating someone and they're like, I feel called to Gateway and this missionary daughter shows up and says, hey, my family's moving to St. Louis. It's of God. So we're standing out back near the old white building for the McClintock, beautiful old white building. She goes, I need to talk to you. And that's never a good thing. She says, I don't like you anymore. I like someone else. And three months later, she married to someone else. And I remember at that same time, a bee came down and stung me in the arm. The exact same time. I'm like, oh God, my heart hurt. The truth is when a heart breaks up in relationships, it's real. I've seen young people walk away from church because of a broken heart. I've seen Bible school students walk away because of a broken heart. When someone you love breaks your heart, it hurts. When your best friend decides to get up and leave and go pastor another church. Just kidding. We love you, Brother Mays. We're excited for your ministry and what God's going to do with you and your family at New Hope Pentecostal Church in Louisiana. I remember the heart breaking as I had to say goodbye to my dad. But one thing that Brother Gunn taught me, one thing that Bishop Dugas taught me, one thing that Brother Scott taught me, to have a committed heart, to have a committed heart. And the only way we can have a committed heart is through turning, through repentance. Now here's the deal, guys. I know there's individual in this house, many individuals in this place that have been through a lot of hurt, that have been through a lot of pain, that have been through a lot of suffering. And it's real. And too often some of us go in church and we're on the fence. When God's standing right here, saying, I'm here. I am the only thing that matters. You know, heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, causing about one in four deaths. The term heart disease refers to several types of heart conditions. In the United States, the most common of heart diseases is coronary artery disease, which can lead to a heart attack. See, the turned heart causes spiritual heart disease, and that is the leading cause of death in the church. The truth of the matter is the consequences of spiritual heart diseases, it can be devastating. And many in this room have felt the emotional and spiritual discomfort of a turned heart. A turned heart is, brings dis, disharmony to the soul. It is often related to plaguing doubts, painful memories, hurtful stress, unforgiveness towards others and unforgiven sins and there's too many Christians suffering from this disease today the Bible says the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy the hurts pains 
disappointments, delayed hopes, and broken dreams of your life are all hidden in the deep chambers of your heart. But the good news is for those who are suffering from guilt or shame is that Jesus died on a cross to remove the stain of guilt and to remove the stain of shame and remove the stain of hopelessness. This morning we can receive his merciful, free and generous gift of forgiveness and freedom of these toxic emotions. Let me tell someone in the Holy Ghost, it is okay to forgive yourself. It is okay to forgive yourself. It is okay to forgive the other person even if they are in this room. It doesn't exempt them for what you've done, for what they've done. But that forgiveness unleashes us the power to make Jesus more real in our lives. And this morning we have that access. If we could all stand. Jesus taught, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. The Bible also tells us, I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So I'm talking to someone in this place. Maybe you've been away from church for quite some time. I say this all the time. God never promised life would be easy, but he promised he'd be there every single step of the way. And I want every person in this room to know it doesn't matter what, what your past is. It doesn't matter if you turned away from God. I know in the Holy Ghost there are prodigals in this place. There are sons and daughters and family members who we fasted and we've prayed. And I'm so thankful that many of you got to uh, be reminded of the beautiful witness that Brother Marion Gunn gave us of a committed heart and consistency. So you know what this means? It's not perfect. Sickness and I'm glad we have a healing God, but sometimes sickness and disease happens. But when everything set a fire around you, you feel the peace of the Holy Ghost and you say, you know what? I'm gonna be okay. When you're looking at that loved one in a hospital bed, Brother Scott, you have no idea why this is happening. But all of a sudden, this Holy Ghost comes in that room and strengthens you. That's what a committed heart does. I've had a lot of excuses, a lot of reasons for me to turn my back on God. And a lot of it had to do with outside interferences. A lot of it had to do with church interferences. But I pledge that I'm going to have a committed heart for God. And so I'm opening up this altar. I don't know who you are, where you're from, what you did, what your background is, but I want to present to you a hope. There's a cure for heart disease in this house. There's a cure for heart disease in this house. There's a cure for spiritual cardiac arrest. In the name of Jesus right now. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. On every single person in this place. Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus, I pray a spirit of repentance. From this altar to the back of the gym, oh Lord. I pray that you'd pierce every heart in this place. Deliver us, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. 